Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. The year was 1941. The United States was preparing to enter World War II, and it needed recruits. But President Franklin D. Roosevelt faced a problem. Hiring discrimination based on race was still the norm in the defense industry, but civil rights leaders were organizing for change. A. Philip Randolph, who had organized and led the first African-American labor union, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, was planning a march on Washington to pressure Roosevelt to open up the defense industry to Blacks, but the president resisted. The commandant of the Marine Corps, among other officers, was vehemently opposed. As the march grew closer and under pressure from his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, excuse me, under, under pressure from his wife, Eleanor, President Roosevelt conceded. On June 25th, 1941, just a week before the march was set to take place, the president signed Executive Order 8802, prohibiting racial discrimination in the defense industry or in government. At last, all branches of the U.S. Armed Forces were open to African-Americans. The recruits trained at Camp Mumford Point in Jacksonville, North Carolina from August the 26th, 1942 until the camp was decommissioned on September 9th, 1949. The largest number of Black Marines to serve in combat during World War II took part in the seizure of Okinawa with approximately 2,000 seeing action. And here to explain more about the grand history of the Montford Point and the National Montford Point Marine Association, our national president, Dr. James T. Averhart, and former national president and current national director of public relations, Joe Geeter. Gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Well, thank you for having us. All right. How are you guys doing? Real good. Good Good Monday. Okay. Well, well, listen up. How about we start this off with me asking you two to just give us a little bit of history about your background. Now, both of you had long, su- successful military careers, but just give us a little bit of a narrative about yourselves. Okay. I'll yield to the national president to go first. Very well. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Past National President Gita, to Mr. Jose and Mr. Boone, thank you for taking the time on your business schedule, but more so, thank you for inviting us uh, onto your show. I am uh, Dr. James T. Aberhart, Jr., a retired Marine, Chief Warrant Officer 5. I uh, served in the United States Marine Corps on active duty for 30 years, two months, and 12 days, but I'm not counting. <laughs> I've had the opportunity to serve as the National President of the Mount Point Marine Corps, uh, Marines Association um, from 2009 to 2015. And I was blessed enough uh, at the will of the membership to be re-elected on June 17th, uh, July 17th of 2021. So this is my second, uh, if you will, second tour as the National President. I'm very excited. Thank you. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I tell you what, the president is uh, pretty shy, but I've known him for 25 years. And when I became president in 2005, 
he was one of the first individuals that called me. He was still active duty and stationed in Quantico. And he wanted to start a chapter of the Mopple Point Marine Association in Quantico. So he led the efforts to get that chapter restarted, chapter 32 in Quantico. And then he went on to serve as the senior regional um, vice president uh, before he had his election to national president in 2009. Uh, as for myself, I've been involved with the Mopple Pointers uh, unofficially since 1978, when I first started learning about this history and teaching about it on the island of Okinawa, Japan. I did not join the National Mopple Point Marine Association until 1987, when I was a recruiter in Chicago, and Chicago had one of the largest chapters at the time, and they pulled me in as a member. Uh, since that time, I've belonged to uh, four chapters. I served the Chicago chapter, the San Diego chapter, the Buford chapter, where I really cut my teeth and became known to the National Association, and the Philadelphia chapter. Uh, I've been blessed enough to serve in more positions than we have time for, maybe. But in Buford, I was a um, chapter historian and special projects officer. In Philadelphia, I was a special projects officer. On the national level, I served as a national quartermaster from 2000 to 2003, uh, the national vice president from 2003 to 2005, national president from 2005 to 2009. And then when James Everhart, Dr. Everhart became president, he appointed me as his legislation and public relations officer. And I've served in those duties since then. And in my spare time, I run the Philadelphia chapter, uh, chapter one in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's right. I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, Joe, you recruited me into the organization and President Averhart actually signed me up into the local chapter back right. in Quantico. Yeah. That was, some, that was some time ago. Yes, it was. I, I remember us talking about Mapa Point a long time ago. We won't go back <laughs> to um, that many years, but I guess we will. I think uh, we've known each other, uh, Jose, yeah. for, for 40 years, and that's a yeah. long time. Yeah, but Joe, you've been you've been in the association since you were a little boy, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's a, nice, that's a nice way of saying I'm not that old. <laughs> um, I sense we're going to have a reunion here on Bring It On today, and uh, it, it's really, I, I'm taking great delight in just seeing the faces uh, light up as they talk about uh, when they first met and their uh, uh, association with the Mumford Point uh, Association. If I could ask you both to share with me when you hear Mumford Point, and of course it was decommissioned before you enlisted, uh, explain to me what comes to your mind. Describe this base and describe those that had uh, trained there, what their experience, experiences were. If you could, either one, uh, pres we'll go to the national president, uh, Dr. Abrahart, if you could start us off. Well, I, I appreciate that, uh, you know, just that asking the question alone brings chills to my body. You know, if I had to, to um, equate one word to the Montford Point Marines, those World War II veterans who served on that segregated base, and I would say perseverance, simple perseverance. Uh, Persevere uh, through a lot of things. But I would add to that resilience. These men of Montford Point has a very unique story. They are, they are real modern day heroes that, that walk the land now. You know, the commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, Mr. Hosea mentioned earlier that he was adamantly opposed to African-Americans being in the Marine Corps. And I quoted, he said, I would rather have 5,000 white Marines than 250,000 blacks for they're trying to break into a club that don't want them. That was very profound. In that, you know, we're talking about the world 
most fierce fighting force. You know, a lot of people may not know that the Marine Corps, the U.S. Marine Corps, was the last branch of service to have African Americans inducted or more so enlist in the ranks. You know, so when I talk about perseverance, and they could not train where their white counterparts trained at, at Paris Island. They trained at Malka Point Camp, 350 miles from where their white counterpart trained at. These men had no idea what they was up against. But, you know, they came from all walks of life. Some were, were relinquished their commission as Army uh, soldiers, uh, Army officers. Some were baseball players, doctors, lawyers. They came from all walks of life. And they continued to come, come, and come. Why? But they came to, because their country needed their service. They came to prove that patriotism is indeed colorless. And don't give me why not, Joe, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> too late, I too late. You, uh, I'm smiling while he's talking because he's been trained well. And I wrote down the word perseverance myself. And that's yeah. the first thing that comes to mind because they really are persevered. Uh, many of these first black recruits, when they enlisted in the Marine Corps, Number one, they had no idea they were coming into a segregated Marine Corps. And on the other side, a lot of white Marines had no idea that we was allowing Blacks to come in. So when those first Blacks arrived at a camp, a Mapa Point camp, and we like to say Mapa Point camp, Vice Mapa Point, because that's what the original sign on that base said was Mapa Point camp. And some of the old times are kind of sensitive to that. But when they got there on August 26, uh, 1942, and next year we'll celebrate the 80th year of that event. Uh, most of them just wanted to serve their country. Some of them that came from the Jim Crow South, they kind of knew what to expect. Those folks that came from Alabama, they had dealt with that their whole lives. But the ones that came from Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, and other points north had no idea. And they experienced that, that racism and that segregation before they even got there. We've heard many stories when they took trains, and they were taking trains back then. When the train got into the Washington train station, they were immediately treated differently and sent to the back of the train or more accurately, the back of the engine, uh, which was the dirtiest part of the train at the time. So anybody that sat or stood there, by the time they got to their destination, they were covered with soup. So they experienced racism before they even got to the camp. When they got to the camp, and it's been documented in a couple of documentary films, and I'll quote one of them, all hell broke loose, if you know what I mean. Uh, they did. Uh, they entered a place that was Marine Corps training. It was tough but it was tougher for them, especially in the first um, nine or 10 months where all the drill instructors were white drill instructors, all the officers were white. The only um, blacks on there were the privates that came down there. Uh, that eventually changed. Uh, once blacks started to prove themselves in March of 43, you gotta remember they arrived in August of 42, but in March of 43, um, the Marine Corps picked some of these top recruits to become drill instructors. Amongst them was Gilbert Hashmark Johnson, who actually served in the Navy and the Army and wrote the Secretary of the Navy when the Marine Corps opened Blacks, and also Sergeant Major Edgar R. Huff, who was the first African-American Marine to be promoted to Sergeant Major from the first Sergeant uh, ranks. Um, blacks may have thought they may have had it easier uh, when the Blacks became drill instructors, but they had it tougher because right. these Black non-commissioned officers wanted them to excel, so they were a lot tougher on them. And to a person that I talked to, they say the training was tough, but they understood the, the end mission was to be Marines. They wanted to fight for their country. Uh, very famously during that time, there was the, the double B, um, the B for victory and the B for segregation and the end of racial injustice in the United States. Uh, and they knew that and they carried that on them. And those first Blacks, although not trained for combat, you gotta remember they were trained to support Marines. These were cooks, bakers and candlestick makers, literally. Uh, and a couple of anti-aircraft battalions 
uh, the 51st and the 52nd, but none of them or none of the white officers expected them to see combat until they did. Uh, and they did. They saw combat in Peleliu or Saipan was the first time the African-American Marines saw combat in June of 1944 uh, on D-Day. Uh, when the holes broke through, Blacks such as Ken Rollick filled the lines and repelled the enemy. Uh, that combat continued in Guam. It continued uh, on Iwo Jima. There were actually Black units on Iwo Jima on D-Day. Um, that was February 19, 1945. The 8th Ammo Company and the 36th uh, Depot Company actually landed on D-Day. And as you mentioned earlier, that continued to the Battle of Okinawa, 1945, where you accurately said 2,000 African-Americans took part in that battle. So even though they were not trained for combat, they filled the ranks. And once General Vandegrift, A.A. Vandegrift, got word of their heroism and their courage on Saipan, he said some immortal words that I still love. He said, the Negro Marine is no longer on trial. They are Marines, period. And at that point, we knew we had a different combinant than Thomas Holcomb as the national president accurately portrayed that was so racist. If it was a choice of 250,000 blacks or 5,000 whites, his response was, I'd rather have the whites. You gotta be some kind of special um, racist not to allow blacks to come in. Uh, the only additional thing I wanna add is although blacks first enlisted on their own, in 1941, June 1st, 1941, there are records of African-American men serving during revolutionary time. What we don't know if they served on their own or they served in the stead or instead of their masters or owners. But there is documentation that Blacks did serve uh, during the Revolutionary War. But after that, it was clearly understood that Blacks would not be allowed to listen to Marine Corps until Executive Order 8802. And we also know that uh, in the Civil War, uh, blacks, of course, were recruited, but that was a whole different uh, yeah. drama. Uh, well, but, not, but, not, not the Marine Corps, but the Navy and the Army did have blacks, and we know about the 54th and the able seamen that served aboard ships in the Civil War. But in the Marine Corps, um, there were still no blacks. Yeah, and then as you were talking, um, when you said that they were not enlisted to fight, but to be support Marines, right? And I have to say, my mind did jump over to the, the naval uh, service, and, and I'm thinking of Dory Miller. Oh yes, uh, I mean, who, you know, heroism. Uh, yeah. And of course, in the Marine Corps, I know there, there are countless stories. Uh, President Aberhart, anything to share to uh, what uh, your able national public relations person just laid out? <laughs> I, I think Joe, I think Joe hit the nail on the head. You know, he's a great friend and, and mentor. As he said, he's known me for well over 25 years. I've been a member of the Montreal Marine Association for 26 years. You know, coming from Alabama myself, and I, as I look back at it, and I often think about it, that how I was shielded from racism. And, you know, when I fell in love with the Marine Corps and what it was all about, the oorah, the running, and just doing the, 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 the whole culture of the Marine Corps, I learned about the Malta Point Marines. I became a member of the my first chapter in 1995 uh, at Camp Lejeune, uh, our premier, one of our premier chapters, uh, the largest chapter at that time. And, and I, I worked with Malta Pointers. And I had a lot of Malta Pointers instilled a lot of knowledge and wisdom into me. And I, and, and I didn't know anything about racism. I never heard of a Malta Pointer, you know? And I fell in love with that history. But Joe, uh, you know, he's a, he's a treasure trove of knowledge for one. And, and everything he said is completely accurate. And, you know, I just uh, applaud him for, for all that he do for our association and these multiple Marines. 
if I could do a quick ID, um, time is flying and that's good. That's, that's, uh, we are not at a loss for information, but I do want to tell our listening audience, if you just tuned in, uh, the voice you heard was the national president of the Montford Point Marine Association, uh, James T. Aberhart. And you also heard uh, former national president and current national director of publications, um, public relations rather, Joe Geeter. Um, gentlemen, the history is, we're just scratching the surface. Right. Um, when you were at Camp Lejeune and someone approached you to join this noble association, uh, first they share with you the history and you said that that really, that that resonated with you, something inside of you just churned. Was it because that you were uh, emboldened because of the noble men that went through those uh, those those gates at that at that camp, or was it that you were just so re, 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 revulsed at the um, at the uh, discrimination that went on there? I mean, was it a combination of the two? So you can share I that. think it was, for me, I think it was a combination of the two, but more so, I was just uh, truly uh, honored to be in their presence and to hear their story their stories, you know, and as I continued to volunteer, I just wanted to, I was eager and hungry to learn that knowledge. And I just became just uh, thoroughly immersed in Mopper Point, all Mopper Point, on my days off, time off, evening off, I wanted to be around a Mopper Point Marine. You know, I often, I often call them, uh, you know, in essence, uh, it's like I had a, a lot of granddaddies, you know. They spanked me, they mentored me, uh, they was my friend, and, and you know, and, and they, they gave me a lot of knowledge about, and I love history, and I definitely love African-American history. And to be part of that history, I think that was one of the reasons why, uh, as a young Marine, because I only wanted to do four years and get out of the Marine Corps, but I fell in love with the Marine Corps, and I truly believe and know that Martha Point, the, the story of the Martha Point Marines, truly uh, made me want to stay in and be a part of this legacy because these men was true trailblazers and pioneers. That's why, you know, I wanted to be a drill instructor. I accomplished that. And I, I wanted to be a warrant officer, you know, and, and, and then I aspired to do 30 years. And, you know, these men, if it was not for the Martha Point Marines, I could not do what I did in the Marine Corps. These men were true uh, pioneers and trailblazers. And they blazed the trails for thousands and thousands of men and women in the Marine Corps. Now that we have enlightened our audience on the uh, history of the original Montra Pointers, I wanna to pivot to the uh, establishment of the National Montra Point Marine Association. If in uh, 1965, uh, Brooks Gray, who wants to talk about that? Let Joe talk about that. That's Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> And I think we are rapidly approaching the anniversary of the origin of the National Mopper Point Marine Association. Between 15 September and 17 September, which is my birthday, in, in Philadelphia, um, the Marines of Mopper Point wanted to get the old gang back together. They wanted to have a reunion. So a lot of Marines, African-American Marines, Mopper Point Marines settled in Philadelphia because they were stationed here at the Navy Yard during the war. And when they got out, uh, like any other service, like many other service members, they stayed in the location they were. Uh, that was true for the Marple Pointers. So Marines like Brooks Gray, Cecil B. Moore, who many people know as a legendary civil rights leader and a fiery attorney and politician, but he was also a Sergeant Major in the Marple Point Marines. And there were many of these men in Philadelphia and they got together 
I would imagine just like a ton tavern over a beer or a drink and say, let's bring the gang back together. So they use Cecil B. Moore's office on North Broad Street in Philadelphia. Uh, you got to remember, we're talking 1965. Uh, there was no internet. There was very, uh, as you made a long distance call, it cost you some money. Uh, so they used the black press. They used telegrams. Many people in the audience may not even know what a telegram is, but that's how they had to communicate. And they sent the word out all over America, mainly to the major cities, uh, like Chicago had the um, um, Chicago um, Defender, um, Pittsburgh had the Pittsburgh Carrier, uh, all these black newspapers to say, you know, call to a meeting, or call to a reunion. And they had no idea how many people would show up. Well, between 14 and 15 September at what they call the old Adelphia Hotel in Philadelphia, almost 400 of these men showed up. And this was 1965, and many of these men had not seen each other in two decades. And as they came out the elevator, it was like, wow, there's Brooks, there's Sonny, there's so-and-so. Um, and they got to talking and, and reminiscing about old times and shared adversities. And they found out it was a lot of professionals in there. There were doctors, lawyers, science teachers, professional salespeople, teachers. And they, they, they decided like, we got to do this again. So that first reunion, and it was a reunion in 1965, led to the formation of what was then the Moffat Point Marine Association. We turned to the national under Dr. Everhart's leadership, but it was the Moffat Point Marine Association and they drew up a charter, the charter got approved and they held their first convention in 1966 in Chicago. So we, we are on the cusp of we're about to hold our 50, I believe 57th convention in Shreveport, uh, Louisiana next year. And uh, this will be the first time I'll say it again. If your listeners need to know more about it, please visit our website. It's a simple website, www.moppapoint, that's M-O-N-T-F-O-R-D, marines, with an S, uh, .org. Uh, we are constantly updating that website. It's, it's easy to navigate. Um, please go visit that. But after that first convention in 1966, um, chapters started to be established, and our chapters are established on seniority. So since the first one was established in Philadelphia, I have the honor of leading Philadelphia chapter number one. Our last chapter to stand up was chapter 45 in Northern New Jersey. And it was appropriately named after Ken Rollick. I mentioned Ken Rollick's name earlier, but Ken Rollick was one of those first Moffleport Marines that actually saw combat in Saipan in 1944. And the new chapter president, Mr. Gary White uh, in Northern Virginia decided to honor Ken Rollick who is a resident of Northern New Jersey with the naming of the chapter. And I hope other chapters follow that lead and name their chapters after some of these Moffat pointers. So their legacy will live on and on and on. Dr. Everhart, did you want to follow up to that? Well, no, Joe, Joe hit the nail on the head, but you know, I'll just say, you know, with the, non, the, the National Moffat Point Marine Association, we are a nonprofit veteran organization. Again, I was established in 1965 and our mission is to simply perpetuate the legacy of the first African-Americans who entered the United States Marine Corps from the periods of 1942, you know, to 1949 at Montfort Point Camp, New River, North Carolina. You know, and our association works to improve the social condition of our veterans, local families, the youth, and the growing population of our senior citizens. As the 20th National President, one of my uh, platform items that I want the association to move forward with now is going to be to transition our organization from a veterans group to a veterans service organization. We are already doing the work. So we want to ensure that we're known as a veterans service organization. What I often talk about is that 
when the last month of Point Marine closed his eyes, what are we going to be known for? How's our association going to sustain since we don't have anyone to put, you know, to showcase? But what I would like to see is our association to continue to help our senior citizens, to help other veterans and, and those uh, service members, uh, dependent family members, to get their veterans when they get out the military, to get their claims. And not just the Marines, all branches of the service, not just Black Marines, all Marines, all service members. Doesn't matter what branch of service, you can be a member, or, you know, if you have an issue with your veterans claims and such, we want to be able to help. Uh, Joe, I'm going to put you on the spot here real quick. But before I do, I'm going to ask Dr. Everhart to clarify something. You said you want to be a uh, veteran service organization. You mean along the lines of the disabled American vets and veterans of foreign wars? That's okay, correct. Okay. American Legion, uh, yeah. Vets, yeah. Uh, Marine Corps League. We want to be able to, when you hit that drop down button, then Montreal Marines Association name is there as the organization that's helping you with your claim. Okay, here we go, Joe. Okay. Although the association has existed since 1965, some would say it existed in relative obscurity. Now, that's, of course, not to undermine your predecessors in any shape, form, and fashion, but all of that began to change after you were elected as president um, and continued under Dr. Averhart. What were those, some of those projects that actually put the Montfort Point Marine Association on the map where, where, where the association is now seen on par with the Tuskegee Airmen and Buffalo Soldiers, so on and so forth? Let's, so talk about that for a little bit. Well, first, very, very good question, a very good point. Uh, the Moffat Point Marine Association, like a lot of other associations, military or not, has evolved over the years. Uh, my predecessors, and I know most, uh, most of them, have met most of them, have been mentored by most of them. Uh, they took us so far. But when I was elected in 2003 as national vice president, I wanted to take us a little bit further. I had a vision. I had an idea. Now that I was national vice president, I had some letterhead. Uh, so I used to write folks of prominence to get the word out. You're absolutely right. Very few people knew about it because the Marine Corps didn't want you to know about it. Because if you bring up Mapa Point, you got to bring up all the racial injustices and the prejudices at the time. So the Marine Corps wanted to bury that. A uh, very quick story before I continue. I had a sergeant major, uh, 26 years in the Marine Corps, active duty, called me up because he got my name off the internet and says, Masagani, I'm embarrassed. I just heard of the Mapa Pointer. A black sergeant major with 26 years in the Marine Corps. That was not an accident. So he asked me to come down to Willow Grove, Pennsylvania and educate him on Moffa Point. Then after that, he invited me back to educate his Marines and 95% of them were white. So when people tell me they didn't know about it, I try to comfort them and say, it's not your fault. They didn't want you to know about it. But how did we involve? I became, I became vice president in 2003. I started writing people like Steven Spielberg um, and other folks, Clint Eastwood, about including Blacks and Marvel Pointers in the movies. When Saving Private Ryan came out, uh, Vin Diesel was the closest thing that looked like uh, anybody of color, and I think they portrayed him as Italian. So when I heard they were filming uh, Flags of Our Father, I immediately started my letter-writing campaign to the both of them. And although they did not answer my letters, when the movie came out, if you look at the movie, about 12 or 13 minutes in the movie, there's a point where the Marines are on a ship right before the invasion of Iwo Jima, and a white officer turns to black Marines and says, eighth ammo company, you land at Red Beach. And I must've fell out of my chair when I saw that because that's exactly what I sent him. So when people like, and I'll say Spike Lee, uh, complained that blacks weren't that movie, 
Uh, first of all, that's not true. Uh, were we in a movie a long time? No, we weren't. But the movie wasn't about us. All we wanted to do was be included in there. And I think that was the pivot point for me to say we can get our our name out there on a more national platform. And in 2006, when the Tuskegee Airmen were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal, not to be confused with the Medal of Honor uh, by, by President Bush, I received a phone call from a Moffat Pointer, Rudy Carter, First Sergeant Rudy Carter. And he was always, like many Moffat Pointers, um, concerned that people would know about the Buffalo Soldiers, they would know about the Tuskegee Airmen. But when you say Moffat Point Marines, the first question is, who were these guys? So Rudy Carter called me up and he saw the gold medal ceremony as I was watching it on TV. And he asked me a simple question, what was I gonna do about it? Because by now I'm national president. And I blindly made Rudy a promise. I says, Rudy, I'm gonna get you the Congressional Gold Medal. And Dr. Everhart could attest to this. A lot of people didn't see the vision that I saw. And that's when I decided not to run for a third term for national president and to bring Dr. Everhart along as the senior regional vice president uh, to run for president. Now he ran his own accord. He got voted on by the members, uh, but he was the target guy that I had in mind to be national president. Once he became national president, we had a plan because I had already been lobbying the Congress for two years. So he appointed me as public relations officer and national legislative officer. Those two hats allowed me to roam the halls of Congress with a business card and with a title. And though, although at the time we only had about 1,200 members and I'm standing next to the American Legion commander with 2.5 million, uh, you would think I had the 2.5 million. Yeah. And we lobbied the US Congress from 2000, September 2007, all the way up to and including August of 2011 until our bill uh, came to the floor, uh, a bill to award the Congressional Gold Medal to the Moffat Point Marines. And I'll be remiss if I didn't thank US Congress women Corrine Brown, because I got an audience with her in 2007 to present our story at the Congressional Black Caucus. When I presented the story to Moffa Pointers, many, many in that audience heard about the Moffa Pointers for the first time. Um, Congresswoman Brown came to me afterwards and said, do you have a sponsor for your bill? I said, no ma'am. She said, you do now, don't talk to anybody else. And she stayed with us, the Moffa Point Marine Association for those four years and she was determined for this bill uh, to get to the Congress. A pivotal point in this journey was in July of 2011, where we held the National Convention of the Moffat Point Marine Association in Atlanta, Georgia. At that time, the National President, Dr. James Everhart, and original Moffat Pointer, Ambassador Ted Britton, went on CNN News. And that, needless to say, is a wide audience. And that's when we really knew we had turned a, um, a corner as far as awareness of America's, America knowing about us. And the Commandant of the Marine Corps uh, General James Amos was the guest speaker, and he delivered one heck of a speech about the Moffat Pointers, and he continued that deliverance about a week later when he flew to San Diego for the National Naval Officers Association. So now the AP picked up the story. We're starting to get some legs. So in August of that year, the Commandant of the Marine Corps invited about 135 Moffat Pointers to the Marine Corps barracks, the oldest post in the Marine Corps, founded in 1802 uh, for a special parade. And that's when a lot of other Marines found out about it. Uh, General Amos also invited the Congressional Black Caucus to his house uh, at the Marine Barracks for breakfast. And that's when our bills in the Congress, in, in the Senate, and the U.S. House of Representatives gained legs. So it was first um, brought up in the House of Representatives. Kareem Brown, Representative Kareem Brown, actually broke protocol and had some mop appointments from our D.C. chapter there and allowed them to speak on the floor of the U.S. House. That's normally not done when the bill comes up. But she was a renegade, she was a maverick, uh, and she got it done. 
um, when it when it came up for a vote, I can remember the day as if it was yesterday. It was October 25th, 2011. Uh, I called the national president up, uh, James Everhart, because it was on C-SPAN, and I was four hours away from my home, and I'm trying to drive home in time to, to view it on C-SPAN, and because it was delayed in Washington, go figure, but it was delayed for a little bit. So I arrived home before the bill came to the floor. So I'm on the phone with Dr. Everhart when the voting starts. And just so your audience knows, when a bill comes to the floor, uh, you've got five minutes to vote, and it's usually electronic voting. So they open up the voting, you press a button, yay, nay, or abstain, and that's how a vote, uh, bill gets voted or not voted on. So when the voting started, we knew we needed a super majority. There are 435 members of Congress, and a normal bill needs just 51% of the vote, or about 218 votes. We needed 290 votes. So that was a big ask, uh, but we felt comfortable that we had that many people pre-sign up or else that bill when it came to the floor. So when the voting started, uh, Dr. Everhart and I was, was listening and watching and it was almost like it was a Super Bowl. It was 50 to nothing, it was 60 to nothing, it was 100 to nothing. And then it got to about 112 and somebody voted no. And, and we both laughed like, who is this knucklehead? And, that, and that's what we said. But then later on in the vote, that no turned to a yes. At the end of the day, the final vote was 422 to zero. It was the most bipartisan piece of legislation of the 112th Congress. So it was really a cakewalk when Senator Kay Hagan, who was now our major sponsor in the Senate, uh, brought the bill from the Senate uh, during the first uh, 10 days in November. So they actually passed the Senate um, by affirmation. In other words, all those in favor say aye, and they recorded it 67 to nothing, which is a supermajority. So once it passed the House and the Senate, now it's got to go to President Barack Obama to sign. Um, Barack Obama, President Obama was out the country at the time. I learned a lot more about civics than I thought I'd ever know. Uh, but if he's out the country, he only has a certain amount of days when he gets back uh, to sign the legislation that was passed or is a hip pocket veto. So uh, unfortunately, he unceremoniously signed the bills that were backed up and our bill was one of them. But he signed Public Law 112.59 into law on November 23rd, 2011. That's when all of our lives change. Uh, we knew that, we were ready for that, we were trying to prepare for that, but I don't think any of us were ready for the onslaught that, that happened after that. Uh, the message of the Moffa Pointers uh, receiving the Congressional Gold Medal went out on a public service announcement to over 400 newspapers across the country. And that's when my mail and my phone and my life blew up. Uh, we were managing that pretty good from, from January to about April, but it got too big for me. And Dr. Everhart called me up and told me that the, um, the Kyle and I had appointed a team in the Pentagon to handle all the paperwork. So the day he came to my house and collected up all the boxes that I have accumulated over the last five or six years and put them in his car and drove off. And he may be hearing this for the first time, but I, I know I shed a tear because seven years of my life was riding down 95 with him and I was praying that he would get there safely. And when all those boxes got to the Pentagon, uh, they had a full Colonel, Colonel Stephanie Smith, uh, her, herself, the daughter, a Moffat Point Marine, Mr. Ernest Smith. He's since passed. And she had a team of young officer uh, candidates out of OCS and a couple of enlisted folks working on this eight hours a day, what I was doing uh, with a full-time job. And they thought it was too much work. But they, um, at the beginning, I don't think they had the love and passion that we had. But we spent plenty of nights working through the night, through the morning, uh, getting this paperwork together. Um, so on June 27, 2012, at the U.S. Capitol, a lot of people say it was at the Rotunda. It was not. It was an Emancipation Hall. The Congressional Gold Medal was bestowed 
collectively on the Mapo Plum Range. Uh, because that ceremony was restricted, you could only have the principal, the Mapo Plum Marine, and a caretaker there. The commandant of the Marine Corps opened up his backyard, which is the home of 8th and I, the solid drill team, the President's Zone Band, and the Drum and Bugle Corps. Uh, and those bleachers hold about 5,000 people. There was not a seat empty there. So they were unrestricted with the number of guests they can have. It was a hot day. We had 400 living Mapo Pointers there, and it was the best day we had. Dr. Everhart, yeah. I, I don't know if you can follow up to that. <laughs> I tell you, Joe. <laughs> in the history and the knowledge of Mount Pointer and uh, the Mount Pointer Marine Association and their history, you know, uh, but uh, no, Joe hit the nail on the head. Well, I, I again, I'm, I'm learning and uh, I am impressed. Uh, uh, before I ask my question, for those who tune in, uh, the, the individual that you just heard who eloquently just shared that history uh, was Mr. Joe Geeter, who is the current National Director of Public Relations for the Mumford Point Marine Association. And you just also heard briefly um, our the National President, James T. Averhart, of the Mumford Point Marine Association. I have a follow-up question. You were talking about how you were on a letter-writing campaign, and that's how a lot of things work. You just, you got to make the contact. You got to be persistent. And when we first started, you used the two definitions, you used two words, uh, perseverance and resilience. And you just demonstrated what all that meant and, and just that, uh, in, that, uh, uh, in, in, in that in that monologue, I would say. Um, I heard a movie that was expressed. It wasn't uh, Saving um, Private Ryan, but it was another movie you mentioned. But I'm also familiar, and our, and our listeners are probably familiar with Red Tails. And how that movie um, uh, made great uh, advances for, I would say, the Tuskegee Airmen and, and the like. Um, have you thought about reaching out to maybe a Spike Lee and some others? I know you have. I mean, I'm asking a question. But you're, you're smiling. I know you have. What, uh, where, where is it? Who's gonna Who's gonna play you in the movie? And uh, <laughs> when's it gonna be released? Uh, you know. So, so go ahead and tell us what's going on. So, so what I'm going to do, I'll start this off and Joe going to finish it up because he's on this team as well. For the last, since 2010, we have been working on a movie uh, with a movie producer, Roger. And um, uh, we've been working on this movie and, and I was honored last week to endorse the movie uh, Black Boots. Uh, you know, and it's a month of Marine project, but it's, we're going to take this to the silver screen. So Joe, go ahead and pick up and tell us where we are right now with that movie. Uh, thank you, Dr. Everhart, for that. Uh, you mentioned earlier the um, uh, the movie Red Tails and George Lucas. Uh, what folks don't know is George Lucas envisioned that movie way back in 1988. Uh, and that movie did not come to the big screen until February 2012. Uh, he had to self-fund that movie for a variety of reasons I won't get into now. Uh, but this is going to be, a, 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 it's already a long process. We've been working on this movie for about 10 years. Uh, we do have a script. Uh, we do have um, over a hundred interviews of Mafia Pointers in the can, and they have developed composite characters uh, for this film. Uh, we're currently working with the Marine Corps who is very supportive of this, this project. And we hope, uh, as Dr. Everhart just said, uh, the Mafia Point Marine Association for the first time uh, formally endorsed this movie. The working title is called Black Boots, the movie. Uh, they do have a webpage, please visit that, Black Boots, um, the movie, I think it's .com. 
But if you do Black Boots movie, it'll take you to that webpage. But I would like Dr. Everhart to kind of close us out because we got the gold medal, but Dr. Everhart was instrumental in making a Moffa Point Marine Day and having a U.S. in that ship commissioned Moffa Pointer. So if I can, I'd like to throw it back to Dr. Everhart to close us out. Well, well, what I'll just simply say, just to add on and, and to uh, the Congressional Gold Medal, as Joe stated, he started this process and I was honored to pick up as he passed the baton to carry it on out. I think one of the great things that our association had going on for us at that time, I was still on active duty and I was able to go indoors that no other national president had the opportunity to, to do and go through rather. So I think timing was everything. In that process of lobbying for the Congressional Gold Medal, you know, um, I had the opportunity to speak with the, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, who also assigned me to the operation planning team uh, that Joe mentioned earlier, as well as uh, the, you know, so we can further roll, uh, also weave the, the, the history of Moffa Point into Marine Corps history. And we, we uh, actually got a ship named after the Moffa Points, the USNS. Uh, MLP one Moffa Point, and we got a. Uh, actually, while I was lobbying, uh, we had uh, Senator Richard Burr ask me. You know, once he said he was going to vote for the bill, he said, "What else can I do for you?" And he said, "What a proclamation or resolution resolution do?" I said, "Both, sir." You know, so they they named a day at the of the Moffa Point Marines as well. But I think one of our, our most prized. Um, I say our most prized possession and muscle initiative that we worked on was the, um, uh, we used to call it the crown jewel of the East Coast. And that would be the Moffa Point Monument. You know, we built a $1.8 million monument to honor the Moffa Point Marines at the very training ground in which they trained on, those hollow grounds of Camp Moffa Point. And if you go there now, it's one of the, it's just a beautiful site. And we were just there a few weeks ago uh, to celebrate our 11th Martha Point Marine Day. And what we did was we also, as an association, uh, we we raised the money for this, this monument in record time. So those were some of our, our main initiatives that we worked on at that time. And we're still, um, you know, living off that now, but we're going further now. You know, where do we go from here? You know, I think that it's going to take better leadership, you know, from our association. You know, we're going to have to have a uh, be able to talk about race relations. We're gonna have to build the bridge the gap and such. We can never go back to where we once were. You know, I often talk about it when I when I speak to our association, and I simply say, you know, this is not just Black history or Marine Corps history. This is uh, American history, and the world need to know about the Moffa Point Marines. You know, we we, should, we need to reach national prominence as the Tuskegee Airmen, the Buffalo Soldiers, the Navy's Golden Thirteen, and we're just about there. Dr. Averhart, you mentioned that you wanted to weave the history, <clears throat> excuse me, the history of the Marfa Pointers into the Marine Corps history. Right. So is that history now being taught in boot camp and officer candidate school? Yes, it is. We, we working on that OPT operational planning team. I had the opportunity to go down to Paratown and see recruit training, you know, the modules of instruction in which they are teaching the recruits at Paris Island now. They about the Moffa Point Marines, not like most likely when you and Joe came in or I came in, you just heard about Huff, Hashmark Johnson, and Fred Branch. You know, they're teaching Moffa Point uh, uh, globally. And then if you go out to the Crucible, they have some of the Crucible stations named after Moffa Pointers. And so they're doing that. At OCS, at Quantico, Virginia, they have the running trail 
name out the month of Pentecost. And the same thing apply like at Paris Island and Crucible in that they have stations named out the month of Point Marine. Can so, you explain what the Crucible is? So the Crucible is the last piece of uh, training for a recruit when they're going to give that Marine his Eagle Global Ankle at P Paris Island, South Carolina. So they go through a rigorous training and everything that they was taught during boot camp Essentially, they, it must be applied, especially uh, teamwork and team building concept is applied at the crucible over 72 hours where you know, there's sleep uh, deprivation and such, and a lot of march, marching and running and, and, and such, and food deprivation as well. You know, you'll learn, you know, it's a culminating moment for that individual recruit to go through that training and then receive that Eagle Globe and Anchor. It's, it's truly uh, heartbreaking. Heart, heart let, let, let me say this about the crucible. Um, like you said, mentally, physically challenging, sleep deprivation, uh, food deprivation. I'm glad they didn't have it when I went through boot camp. <laughs> if we can, uh, could we have Dr. Everhart close us out with our search for Marple Point Marines? I hope we have a minute for him to do that. We well, still got about. We, we still have some time. Uh, well, the phone call just came in, but no, we still have some time. While he's answering that phone, I want to go back to the very beginning. Um, when we introduced the show, we had we talked about the impact of Eleanor Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. She was instrumental in the Tuskegee Airmen's uh, validation in a lot of ways. And now we're learning that uh, she uh, persuaded her husband, uh, uh, President um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, to, to concede and then issue Executive Order uh, 8802. What can you say, what can you tell me about the impact from your perspective, from what you know on the inside about Eleanor Roosevelt? She's sort of an unsung hero. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, I agree, she is unsung. People know when she uh, took that flight with Chief Anderson uh, to fly the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, but what they don't know is how instrumental she was uh, with encouraging her husband to sign Executive Order 8802. And it wasn't just for the Marine Corps, it's for all branches of service. Uh, to my knowledge, she never visited uh, Moffa Point camp, but her husband did. And the folks that I do talk to about it, uh, they think the world of both of those individuals because they know without that executive order, they could not have existed. So she's in here. She's a hero to uh, the Moffa Pointers. Maybe not as much as Lena Horn, uh, but she's a hero to the Moffa Pointers. Right. Well, uh, no argument there. Um, let me ask you about this as far as your activities as an association and uh, maybe a simple yes, no, or if you want to qualify it. Uh, recruitment activities, do you recruit civilians to enlist into the Corps? I was a recruiter in my, in my Marine Corps life. Um, those days are long go, gone now, but what I recruit now is members into the Mapleport Marine Association. And okay. as the president said, any branch of service, if you serve for 90 days honorably, you're eligible to join us. Black, white, woman, man, uh, if you serve honorably for 90 days, you could be a member of this association. So again, the website is www.mofferpointmarines.org. All the information is there. All right, and then you answered my second question um, that, that service personnel such as uh, women are, are assisted by the association as well. Oh, we're at unprecedented times. Uh, last year, we had six, we have 45 chapters, about 24 are really active. We had six women serve as chapter presidents we actually had President Everhart just uh, succeeded uh, the first woman national president. So in all of our history, uh, she was the 19th 
I'm president of the Moffat Point Marine Association, Chief Warrant Officer Carmen Cole, but she was the first woman to hold that title. So we've, we've came leaps and bounds. When I first joined the association, almost every leadership position was being held by Moffat Point Marines. And they held on to that until Dr. Everhart was president. I believe he was president when the last Moffat Pointer, I want to say it was Reuben McNair, uh, stepped down from his duties as a, uh, um, a senior regional vice president. And, and, and before I yield back to uh, William, um, well, one thing I want to ask, and we haven't touched on, what, what's the big issue that you're confronting to assist uh, those who served in the Marine Corps or other branches? What, what's the number one issue, President Aberhart, that keeps you up at night that, that you're challenged with right now? Well, you know, we're, we're living in very trying times. That, that's no, that's um, no getting around that. You know, as the president and, and it pertains to my duties as the national president, I'm big on the reclamation and retention of members there. We're always asking for members and, and those Moffa Pointers. So I'm, you know, I am always seeking to get Moffa Pointers uh, for, to find those who who don't know anything about the Congressional Gold Medal, don't know anything about our association. I'm looking for those Moffa Pointers. And we just did a PSA a few weeks ago, just simply calling for those individuals, those family members. If your loved one, your, your, your relative, uh, your grandfather, your father is uh, serving in the United States Marine Corps during the periods of 1942 uh, to 1949, or more so if he is a World War II veteran, most likely, he is a Moffa Point Marine, without a doubt. And so, you know, that's what I, I, I'm always, you know, worried about, but more so, if, but if I have to say what keeps me up at night, it's getting a call from Joe Geter to tell me that one of our heroes has passed away. As the national president, and, you know, these men are, you know, in their 90s and hundreds year old now, and, you know, so they're up in age. So, I'm, every time I get a call from him, especially depending on the time, I'm afraid that he's going to tell me that one of our heroes has passed. So that keeps me up. But, you know, as far as our association, you know, I just, you know, pray and, I, and, I, and I'm led by God. Um, and I just simply say that he give us the strength to lead boldly and more aggressive on behalf of the month. Dr. Averhart, my next question, uh, we got about uh, just a little over eight minutes left. But my next mm -hmm. question gets into the part where Joe said you can't talk. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Joe a question. And if he can answer this question in time, which is going to be a challenge, then we'll throw it back to you. Okay. Joe. Yes, sir. You and I were talking a few weeks ago and you told me you got a call from the Kingmaker, Representative James Clyburn and the uh, association. Can you repeat the question? I said a few weeks ago, you and I were talking, and I think you told me you got a call from the Kingmaker, Representative uh, James Clyburn. Oh, James Clyburn, yes, yeah. Yeah, so, and and tell us how the association played a part in the nomination and confirmation of General Lloyd Austin as the first Black uh, Secretary of Defense. Yes, during the time we were lobbying for the Congressional Gold Medal, Dr. Everhart, myself, Lieutenant Colonel um, Joseph Carpenter, uh, we passed out a lot of business cards. Uh, we knocked on a lot of doors. We went to a lot of receptions. And some of those representatives still have our cards. So one day, um, right before um, President uh, Biden nominated uh, Lloyd Austin for Secretary of Defense, I received a call from his aide and asked me if I had some time for the representative. And of course, I did. I didn't know what the call was about. He didn't tell me. So 
when the phone rang and I realized it was from DC and it was the, the majority whip on the line calling me, um, a lot of wonder, wonderment went through my head. And he identified himself. Uh, he remembered me. Of course, I remembered him. Uh, we talked about the times I was lobbying. I thanked him again for the $500,000 that, uh, that he helped get us for our second documentary film, which Lou Gossett did the voiceover. And then he got to the point. He said, did my aide tell you why I wanted to call you? I said, no, sir, he didn't. And he kind of let me in on a secret. He says, uh, President Biden's going to nominate the first African-American man for the Secretary of Defense, and we want the endorsement of the Marple Point Marine Association. How proud was I? Even though I was not the president, I believe I could speak for President Carmen Cole at the time, and I did not hesitate. I said, Representative Claiborne, whatever you want, you got. I will do your letter of endorsement. And on top of that, I think I can get the 6888, that's the first postal um, battalion of African-American women army personnel that um, the only battalion that went overseas to serve. So I got that endorsement too. So he wanted to get the endorsement, he being Representative Claiborne, wanted to get the endorsement of African-American military associations before President Biden went on TV. And this was on a Monday. He was gonna announce it on a Friday, but somehow it leaked out and he had to do it on Wednesday. So when he nominated um, um, General Austin on Wednesday, um, in his acceptance speech, he mentioned the Mopple Point Marine Association. And I tell you what, that was a very big highlight. So thanks for bringing that up. Go ahead, Clarence. Well, I, you know, we are right now in history, uh, things that are unfolding and as trying uh, time. Um, as you look toward the future, what you you began to share with us that you envision becoming elaborate a little bit more on that with the remaining time that we have uh, about the service uh, that you want to get into. Sorry, I didn't hear the question well. Yeah, you I'm went sorry. out a little bit, Clarence. Okay. Um, earlier, you you elaborated that your next goal is to sort of uh, position the organization to be more of service. Can you elaborate on, on some of the service activities you wish to engage in, what the future looks like in our remaining minutes? Of, we have about three minutes to go. Very well, I'm, I'll be real quick, you know, with my platform items, you know, we are a service organization and I want to ensure that we continue to help uh, at-risk kids and our senior citizens more so and to become a veteran service organization. But I want to make sure we push for towards the U.S. Postage Stamp Initiative and again, push forth uh, a campaign for membership and also with the endorsement of the movie Black Boots. I want to make sure that, you know, the world know about this movie and more so learn about the history, rich history of the Marfa Point Marine for their story is a very unique story of resilience. All right, was there a, um, was there a song that the Mumford Point Marines had? And I, and I want all three of you all uh, <laughs> to harmonize as we sort of take this out, because I know, I know there's a song. I, I know there is. Most fraternities, sororities have songs. That, and I know this, this noble organization has a song. I don't care if you're off key. I want to hear it. Well, let, let me say this. Joe always insists that he does not need help with this. So go ahead, Joe. Well, number one, and I apologize. I don't even know if any of us know the words. But during the time of Moffat Point Camp, um, the recreation officer was a guy named Bobby Troop. Bobby Troop wrote Route 66. He wrote Daddy. He appeared on Emergency with his wife, Judy London. He wrote a song called oh, Take yeah. Me Away From Jacksonville that was always the hit of the show. And that was the last song of the night when he ran his recreational shows during Muffle Point. Uh, 50 years later, original Muffle Point and LaSalle Rogers Vaughn 
wrote a song called I'll Take the Marines. So we do have a couple of songs and please forgive us. I don't think any of us know the lyrics. And if we did, I don't know if we could sing it, but Take Me Away from Jacksonville <laughs> and I'll Take the Marines are the two songs that come to mind here. Well, I tell you what song that we do know from the halls of the Montezuma. This program was brought to you by the proud <laughs> serving men of the Marine Corps. Um, gentlemen, this has been an education for me, and I'm swelling with pride, I'm telling you right now. Um, you know, my father was an Air Force captain, and uh, I'm my hat's off to all of you for your service. Thank you for your service. And thank you for your extended service now, even in your retirement. As you said earlier, I heard someone say you're more you're more busy now <laughs> than you've ever been. So yes. and that's true. That is true. William. We want to thank National Montfort Point Marine Association, National President Dr. James C. Aberhart, and former National President and current National Director of Public Relations, Joe Geeter, for joining us to explain more about the grand history of the Montfort Pointers and the National Montfort Point Marine Association. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address is bringiton at wfhb.org. If you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about tonight's guests, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone, and our assistant producer is William Hosea. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Our program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine, and our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm William Hosea. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.